You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. So why did Jesus choose Peter, the fisherman, to be the rock on which he built his church? I think in a simple way, it's because God wanted to make absolutely clear the nature of the thing at work, you know, the, the nature of the church, that it's not the result of, kind of human ingenuity, it's not clever men with clever schemes, but that it's God's work. He doesn't abandon or despise the rich, it's not that he doesn't want them to be a part of his work, but that in the church the poor always have the seat of honor, and the weak will always shame the strong, because God will be constantly reminding us that this is his church. And so Peter the fisherman is the one who kind of makes the catch. And his first reaction after this miraculous event is to drop to his knees in fear and trembling before the Lord. The same reaction that everyone in the whole scriptures has whenever they come in contact with God. We see in the first reading that Isaiah is sure that this is the end of his life and That's just kind of how we are when we encounter God. That we immediately assume we're going to die. And it's kind of an interesting reaction, but it's fitting because, you know, who are we to stand in the divine presence? We know our imperfections. So when we're faced with infinite perfections, just terrifying. And who are we to stand before the God who created the whole universe with a word? So Peter realizes there's something incredible going on here. And, and then when he doesn't die, which he's amazed by, then he does the only other fitting thing, which is to leave everything and follow Jesus. He forgets the fish on the shore and follows the one who makes that incredible catch possible. And he's not sure who Jesus is at this point. He's probably familiar with him. It's not the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. But... He's sure that, this is, that God's presence is at hand because he's a faithful Jewish man who knows God's presence when he sees it. And I think the apostles all seem to have a similar experience when, when they encounter the Lord, that there's something different here, that as Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand in him uh, in some mysterious way. So the catching force of Jesus kind of draws them into discipleship and they can do nothing else but, but to leave everything and follow after him. But we see throughout the Gospels that, that leaving all of our things to follow the Lord is much different than, than following the Lord. That the apostles themselves struggled to kind of abandon themselves to him and give, in a sense, their wills over to him in obedience. Because even at the end of the Gospels, we see it over and over again, but he, even Peter himself, right before Jesus is going to the cross, asks him, he says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. What then is there for us? What, what, will, what's, what are we going to get from this? So Gregory the Great, the great saint and pope of the early church, says, perhaps it's not so difficult for a man to give up his possessions, but it's very difficult for him to give himself. And that kind of brings us, I think, to the call of the gospel today, that God's calling us to kind of abandon ourselves to him, uh, not just our things, but ourselves. And 
Though for some of us, that, that call may include you know, the concrete uh, vow of the evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, obedience. But for all of us, it includes abandoning ourselves to God's will. That, that great obedience that, the, that is required in the Christian life. And I think obedience to us as Christians is, is so foreign to us. It's so foreign today, kind of in our culture and in our time, that it seems almost kind of ridiculous and slavish. Ronald Knox is a, a preacher. He's an Englishman, so he knows, uh, he knows the kind of people of our time in the Western world. He said that for us as democratic people, as free and fully autonomous people, or at least we think we're fully autonomous, Obedience is something that's kind of for children. It's something that children have to suffer until they're 18 years old, and then they kind of graduate to adulthood and they become the masters of their own world, of their own universe. So that it's not a virtue, but it's something that's like an accomplishment of youth. It's like, well, I was obedient enough uh, that, I, that now I'm free from it. But if we ask uh, like a consecrated religious who has taken the vow of obedience in a very concrete way, we see all of them will say that it's by far the most difficult of the three. Poverty, chastity, obedience. Obedience is by far the most difficult, but it's also the most fruitful. It bears the most fruit in our lives. Uh, as far as it's the quickest road to being a saint. Because when we're obedient to God, we're, we're both putting our trust in him, but we're also demanding something of him. Uh, we demand that he care for us. And that's exactly the place where the Christian needs to be. You know, what, what parent isn't overjoyed when their child finds him or herself in a situation where they are overwhelmed, where it's beyond their capacity, but they're not afraid because they trust that their mother and father have it under control. It's like the ultimate experience of parenthood, that, you're, that your kids trust you. Uh, and so that's the position we always need to be before our Heavenly Father. And so we, we see the fruit of this disposition as Christians, but we still on some level hate it. And what that's, what's that about? Why do we fail so often to be obedient to the Lord and to trust ourselves to his providence? I think it's because no matter what happens to us in this world, no matter the suffering that we go through, the hardship that we face, even if everything in this world is taken away from us, we know that we still have our freedom. That we still have our wills. No one can take that from us. Even if you find yourself in shackles, in jail, uh, we, we still, to a certain extent, have some sense of freedom. We're still, in a sense, the master of our destiny. Jean-Paul Sartre was a, he's a philosopher after the Second World War, and he looked really deeply into this because... With everything that happened in the Second World War, we, a lot of people kind of questioned free will. Uh, is, is someone in the concentration camp really free? Is, uh, is a, a, a brainwashed Nazi German really free? And, and so there's that question of that. And he said, no, no matter what, you are free. Uh, and he said, it's better to die on your feet than live on your knees. And that wasn't a specifically religious statement. That was a statement of, it's better to not give your will to someone else but to die a free person rather than let yourself become a slave of something. Uh, I think someone maybe more relevant to us as Americans is Bob Dylan. 
He's a great songwriter. And when he was singing about kind of the ever-present fear that was infecting us during the Cold War, he said, you know, let me die in my footsteps before I go down onto the ground. But I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to live as a free man. And so to be enslaved to something is kind of our worst fear. It's worse than death. Especially a death that's a free death. And so we, we still, I think that kind of affects us when, it, when we t- think of our relationship with God. That to give our life over to God in that kind of concrete, obedient way. Uh, to say with St. Paul, like, I, lo- I no longer live, rather Christ lives in me. We all agree that that's a beautiful thing on some level, but that it also repulses us on some level, that we're somehow giving up our freedom. And so, what can we do? You know, if we look to the, the gospel we had last week, spoke of us deepening our faith, of coming to know the Lord in faith, uh, both in our mind and in our heart. And, we, and then if we come to know the Lord, we realize that that obedience to Christ and, and to God the Father, trusting in his providence doesn't, doesn't make us a slave. It's actually the only thing that could ever bring us true freedom. How is that possible? Uh, go back to Dylan again, you know, in another song that he sings. He says, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but you have to serve somebody. It's kind of in our nature to give ourselves over completely to some cause. And ideally, we seek the noblest of causes to give ourselves to. But what does that mean? We obviously aren't very good at figuring that out because we see in our world all over the place. And we even see in our own lives that we give ourselves over completely to ridiculous things all the time. Uh, in my generation, we have the tendency not even to give ourselves to causes, but to just choose a hobby and make that like, the goal of our life. Uh, and, and kids are big with this, you know, like, the volleyball is life shirts. It's like, no, volleyball is not life. There's a, that's a, an incredibly lame life if all you're living for is volleyball. And I'm not saying that every girl who wears that's an idolater. It's just like a, it's just a, a tendency of ours. It's like, no, this is everything for me. Uh, but it's obviously not. And it's never going to lead us to joy. And we know that on some level. I think we know that on a deep level. But, but then we're, we're confused because the world's such a kind of harsh place. How are we supposed to navigate through it uh, without getting crushed in some way? And we see that so often. And then we, and then we see people accusing like, Christianity of, isn't Christianity just a, an opiate that, that kind of <coughs> dumbs us to the suffering of the world and, and helps us to ignore it because we're looking to heaven instead? I think it's exactly the opposite of that. That when, that when Christ comes alive in us, when we, when, when we allow Christ to live in us, then we see the world through his eyes and we, we're actually much more aware of the misery. It's, it's, it becomes much more clear to us, but not in a spirit of discouragement or hopelessness where we're just going to attach ourselves to some worldly good, but in a spirit of boldness that only comes in, in being a son or daughter of God. Uh, because it's only in that obedience that we then gain the strength to move the world in some concrete way, to actually make a difference in a, in a fruitful way. Uh, Jesus makes that abundantly clear by founding the church upon a fisherman, a man who has no worldly capability of, of changing anything. And his 11 companions, the other apostles, are equally mediocre in their worldly rank. Uh, no one was really a, a big person in the world say 
And the church since that time, you know, was a great record of heroes and saints, most of which were nobodies. Uh, there's, there's very few uh, great personages in the world who, who were great saints uh, in comparison with the whole kind of swath that we have in the church. And so we're reminded that, that we're just servants, that we're servants of the Lord. No servant is greater than his master. But that, but that the master, Jesus, himself said that he was always obedient to the Father. And everything he did, he was being obedient to the Father in heaven. Obedient unto death. And so I think when we're looking for noble causes, we can do nothing nobler than what Peter did in the gospel today, which was kind of when we experience the Lord's divine presence, we drop to our knees and first beg for mercy. And then we stand up, as Jesus calls us to, uh, with no fear, and we acknowledge our dignity as Christians. Uh, and then we leave everything to follow him, not just our things, uh, because often we're not called to leave our things. We're called to give ourselves uh, entirely to him.